I wish I could say that I've been working late these days, but the truth is, I've been working late most every day. After a while, late don't mean nothing no more. The job of a Magic the Gathering content creator ain't easy, but no one said this life was meant to be easy. There was something about this case I just couldn't shake. My client ain't no spring chicken, and I couldn't figure out why they shoot themselves in the foot like this. It's like the right hand wasn't paying attention to what the left was doing. Something smelled fishy. And I don't like fish. I mean, really, how many other foods are universally accepted as an adjective to describe something that smells disgusting? Anyway, it just don't add up. Was it some kind of inside job? Maybe a little fraud for the insurance money? Why on earth did they make Ward a central mechanic in the set? Only to print five spells, all at common and uncommon, that can't be countered. I'm telling you, Tony, it just don't make no sense. Don't make no sense at all. It's a shame. Welcome all of our listeners to this week's Lucky Paper Radio. Actually, the next two weeks' Lucky Paper Radios, because my name is Andy. I'm here with my co-host, Anthony, Marathon Podcast Recorder Maddox. That's right. We're recording 26.5 podcast episodes right now. I don't know how long a marathon is. Marathon Podcast Host, Podcast Talker. Yeah. I'm going away on vacation. Because of that, we're going to record a super long episode here about... Murders at Karloff Manor? That's the title of it, right? Uh, I believe it's called Murders uh, Preposition Karloff Manor. I can't remember which preposition it is, and that's fine. The Karloff Manor Murders, and also Ravnica Clue Edition, and also, you know, by proxy, the Murders at Karloff Manor Commander Set. There's a lot of new products for us to talk about, and we're going to cover that here in the first of our Cube Set Reviews. In the past, sometimes we've done one episode just talking about mechanics and themes and a separate episode talking about our personal cube editions. Sometimes we roll those up into one episode because oftentimes they don't feel like two whole separate episodes, but due to our recording structure and timing, we're going to have it be two separate episodes again, but recorded in one marathon session, and I'll break it up and record an intro to introduce the second episode whenever I decide to cut it. So, hoy, where do you want to start, Anthony? Should we jump right into the mechanics of Murders of Karlov Manor and talk about how we think they will apply to the cube community as a whole? Did you confirm it's Murders of or is it Murders oh, at? Oh, it's Murders at. Sorry, I did it wrong immediately. No, no, it's fine. Okay, Murders at Karlov Murders Manor. Murders at Karlov Manor. And not Markov Manor. Not Markov. Markov. I was thing. very confused by this as well. Whole I was like, plane. why is, what's happening here? But uh, that's apparently what's, what's going on. I mean, they're just running out of vowels and consonants to combine in similar ways to make words that sound different. All right, let's start with the new mechanics of this set. Odyssey has quite a few new mechanics. I think maybe they snuck a couple extra ones in because a few of them are tweaks on old mechanics. But let's just start with Disguise. And you know what? Let's throw Cloak in here together. These two are very similar. Disguise is a new mechanic that is essentially just Morph, except the face-down creatures have Ward 2, and Cloak is very similar, except it's just Manifest, but the face-down creatures have Ward 2, what Morph and Manifest allow you to do is either play a creature from your hand that has Morph or Disguise as a face-down 2-2, in this case with Ward 2, and Cloak is a keyword that other cards will let you basically manifest the top card of your library face-down as a 2-2 with Ward 2, and if that card happens to be a creature, you can turn it face-up later on for its mana cost. Yeah, so these are exactly like you're saying. They're just like Morph and Manifest, but with this addition of Ward 2, Uh the mechanics also basically function the same, except for the fact that uh, Disguise is for creatures that have this mechanic inherently and have some kind of activation on the on the front side. It could be a mana cost, could right. be a cost of sacrificing another creature, could be whatever. In almost every case, I think I think in every case in the set, it is just a mana cost. But that lets you turn it up from the front face. And if you're manifesting something or cloaking something that comes from some other action where you don't necessarily know if the card is a creature that has a Disguise mechanic, then you can just flip it up for its mana cost if it doesn't have one if it got cloaked 
Yeah, so basically just an upgrade to Morph and Manifest. And I really like Ward. I think Ward is a great keyword, and I hope we see a lot more of it moving forward. You know, prior to the Ward days, threats were often either just completely unprotected, you can just kill them if you have a removal spell, or they were totally uninteractable. They had Shroud or Hexproof or Indestructible or something, and you just couldn't get rid of them no matter what, or at least under very rare circumstances. I think Ward is a great way to give creatures a kind of subtle protection that makes all of their removal spells less efficient, but doesn't almost ever shut the door completely on interacting with creatures. I'm a huge fan of this effect. I think it's fantastic. And it's worth noting that since morphs were introduced in Onslaught? That sounds plausible to me. And then reprinted in the Tarkir block... Magic R&D has come a long way, and power has crept quite a bit, and these days a 3-mana 2-2 with no text would be really far under the bar of playability. I suspect a 3-mana 2-2 with Ward 2 is still pretty far under the bar of viability, but they're upgraded nonetheless, maybe to bring them closer to contemporary card value. Yeah, I mean, you say has come a long way. I I do feel like that when we say that, it sounds like they've they've learned so much about how they can make a number bigger. It's like, they no, have. that's... Okay, sure. <laughs> they've learned how they can put bigger numbers. But yeah, I mean, it's just... It's difficult to say that a morph card is a split card that is either a colorless 3-mana 2-2, and that's an okay option, or it's, you know, some bigger card you can cast later. The 3-mana 2-2, even though it's colorless, just just doesn't do a whole lot in Modern Limited, especially. So it does make sense they were looking for a way to upgrade it a little bit. And I kind of like the way that they have done this mechanically, where I'd initially heard some chatter about, like, oh, well, they've given it Ward, and they've they've actually made it work on the stack now, or something like that, but that's not the case. I don't think it was chatter, it was just I thought... It was just you, okay. When I heard that it had Ward 2, I was like, oh, this seems brilliant. They've probably removed all that weird rules baggage about it being a special action you can't respond to to flip it face up, because... You know, morphs, for those that don't know, and manifests, turning them face up is a special action that you need priority to do, but does not use the stack, meaning it cannot be responded to. And the reason is because it's a huge feel bad if you spend five, six, seven mana to unmorph a creature and your opponent just shocks it in response while it still has two toughness and kills it. I think the ward would go a long way to getting rid of some of those feel bads, right? If your opponent is tapped out or doesn't have at least three mana up, they can't possibly point a removal spell at it but it turns out they didn't actually change that it still works the same way it does which is a little bit confusing for players that maybe don't know that specific rules interaction they just added ward as a sort of cherry on top extra sauce for if it gets into play with this particular keyword I think that makes a lot more sense personally. I think that the fact that all face down cards are still two twos, they still function the same way. There isn't question of like, oh, can I actually respond to that? Well, because I created it with this mechanic versus this and it looks exactly the same. It it behaves differently. No, they pretty much behave the same, except uh, hopefully you have that reminder card. You'll sit on top. So you just know that it has an additional keyword ability, just like if it had a keyword counter or whatever. In addition, I think that makes a lot more sense. And And I do think the fact that they that morphs don't use the stack does make a lot of sense to me. I agree it feels kind of weird. Like, why do we have to have things work in different ways? It, 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 from a design sensibility, a big part of me wishes that it was just uh, more normal. But at the, at the same time, I think it wouldn't just be about that moment of it, it being like, it feels bad if you uh, run into this weird this situation where you spend a lot of mana and lose your creature. I think the whole sort of game would just warp around it if you were able to just shock things in response where it's like yeah i'm just i'm just never gonna spend my shock until you spend the five mana and then i'll destroy your creature in response and just like that the way it would impact gameplay in a broader sense i think would be a lot worse if you could respond to that activation no i understand that for sure i think the ward would make that a lot less appealing yeah still it's definitely true like when i saw that i figured that was maybe a way to try and fix that which is which brings us to the important point with regards to cube design more broadly I did a, a little tweet that went mini viral in the cube Ooh, world, nice. which was uh, when Mark Rosewater put out his hints about what the f- set was going to include. He said a popular me- mechanic returns with a twist and a new name. And he was of course referring to both cloak and disguise here. And I did the little meme where the guy looks really happy at a popular mechanic returns. And then really sad when it says with a twist and a new name, because as cube designers, it can often cause additional confusion and baggage for us to run morph cards alongside disguise cards or manifest cards alongside cloak cards and to your point the fact that they're also tutus face down mm-hmm. great though maybe we're in an uncanny valley situation maybe if the face down cards had been four fours for four or something you know it would be enough different that you know you wouldn't have to remember which one's which because they'd be like very distinctly different but it's going to be hard to justify i think 
from a, a complexity standpoint, running both of these alongside each other. I've even seen a lot of cube designers talking about just eroding all old morphs to be disguised now, so they also have Ward 2 because they don't want to deal with these slight variations of rules for face-down cards. I mean, you can imagine if you have a lot of morph in your cube and you're going to add a lot of disguise, now you have to distinguish which face-down cards are which. That's yes. a nightmare. Like, yeah. So here's actually where I have a, a more of this issue is. I think with Cloak, to me, this is just not a problem. Because we already have things that are like, oh, it's an aura that I will manifest the top card of my library, and it gives the creature flying. You know, that's a card that makes sense. It's pretty easy to represent. And you know that the card that was manifested has some additional baggage associated with it from the effect that did that. And Cloak works the same way, just to say I cloak this top card or I manifest the top card. The effect that we all know about has done this fine. And with- I do want to say that I actually love Manifest because it's a way to essentially have token-generating cards that don't require tokens. Yeah, that's also true. I, like I love Primordial Mist. I've gotten back into the Whisperoid Elemental game, even though I think it hasn't aged particularly well in cubes like mine on power level, just because I think it's a really elegant way to have a game piece, turn out more game pieces without having to have actual additional pieces of cardboard around. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, where, where I do think this is going to get annoying is if, like you're saying, you do have a bunch of morphs and a bunch of disguise cards where I'm just putting a card face down and I'm telling you this one has Ward 2 or it doesn't. Hopefully I'm doing something to indicate the, the difference there. But there is that extra layer of metagame that is specifically a, a com- complicated for cube players, for cube designers, that now if you're familiar with a list and you're like, okay, well, I know the only morph card in this cube is specifically Den Protector and the only disguise card is a defenestrated phantom uh let's say because that's what i'm looking at on the screen uh then there's that like extra layer of well if you just kind of know the card list you it gives you some extra information that's kind of weird and like the potential to misrepresent and get things confused could be kind of annoying on the other hand also with face down cards you are pretty much supposed to be clear about the board state anyway. I know this came up when I was actually playing somebody's Cons of Tarkir set cube a couple weeks ago where somebody had three or four face down cards in play and uh, I just had to tell them like, whoa, slow down for a second. Like, let's be clear about which of these is which. I need to know which is the one that you chose to attack me with last turn and which is the one you didn't because that and which just is says the one a lot you about cast what those cards first, are. And which is the one you cast second. Yeah. yeah. So th- that is just sort of like a little uh, logistical thing to, to be aware of with all these mechanics is just indicate the order the cards came out and and uh, try and keep them distinct because that history of which card you played with in what way really does matter to to giving the the right amount of information to your opponent. Yeah, and you know, for all that I am noting the baggage that comes along with running morph alongside disguise, I think to some degree, some cube designers are already dealing with this just running manifest alongside morph, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like if you have a card that manifests in play and a couple morphs, it's like, okay, well, which of these is guaranteed to be a creature face down and which of them might just have been a land or a cantrip off the top of your deck, right? That already does matter and already was maybe kind of annoying to keep track of. So obviously every cube designer has to make a decision for their own cube. And I think it's interesting that we got essentially morph cards that are designed at a contemporary power level. I'm sure a lot of players are excited about that, but in the big picture sense, obviously, I think it would have been nicer for Cube in some way if these could have been consolidated so they had the exact same rules text as all the past morph cards. But thus is the nature of playing with a game that has a huge history and, you know, 25, 30,000 game pieces to work on top of. Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I think, honestly, a lot of players either leaned pretty heavily into the morph or more likely just don't have any morph cards. I know a lot of people, I, I've heard the the quote of like, yeah, I realized the last morph card I had in my cube was exactly Den Pr- Protector, and I decided to cut it just because a single morph already felt weird. So this is probably just not going to be that much of an issue for most cube designers. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, I'm not touching any cloak or disguise cards in my cube because I have no morphs. I don't want to get Cloak confused and manifest. I don't love any of the Cloak cards. And actually, that's not true. I lied. There is one card I'm actually looking uh-huh. at testing. And my main caveat with that test is the fact that it would be the only card with disguise in my cube. We'll get to that when we get to the Bun Magic cube. I feel like actually just looking at the individual card designs, there's so much more that we could say about their approach to disguise uh, in contrast to the way I think a lot of old morph cards were designed. I don't know how much you want to get into this, but it it feels like a very different mechanic just in the way that cards were designed. Does it? How so? In particular, I I feel like a lot of the old morph cards are basically like, here's your six mana five five with lifelink, or here's your, you know, big thing that also has this option to be cast earlier as a face down card. And then you could flip it up at, you know, maybe some discount to get your big thing out at the cost of overall more mana, but sooner in terms of like when you can actually get into play. And 
that I think played pretty well, but a lot of the cards here are actually not, you know, big expensive things that you have an option to play cheaper sooner. They are all cards, or a lot of them are cards that are two, three mana creatures that then have this big activation and do something when they're flipped up, which to me makes it feel more like kicker. Like if I have my unyielding gatekeeper on turn two, I'm probably just going to cast it as a, a two mana three, two. Like that's just a, a much better rate. It's a much more powerful play than waiting a turn to have a two, two. But if I do have this on turn five where I can play it, flip up for its disguise cost, plus then it gives me an activated ability, just means it sort of, it feels more like kicker almost, I think, in the in the way that these games are going to play out. And the fact that so many of these individual cards just have two toughness or three toughness means you're also not going to get into a lot of situations of flipping up your disguise in the middle of combat and blowing somebody out. Maybe it'll still trade better with something, but you're still trading, not just eating an attacker out of nowhere. To me, it just like it looks almost like the kicker with this sort of secret effect, which I think is just going to play a lot better and lean into the sort of surprise flavor and like mysterious flavor without necessarily just feeling bad because it's just like oh yeah you played this like a combat trick in the same way you could a card from your hand i don't know i'm not sure your memory is correct there there's a lot of old school morph cards that have spell abilities when they turn faced up the one you gave an example of dem protector is a great example there are a ton of those sure. in the history of the game what is true is that what is absent from this set is just a big creature that you know you can play early as a 2-2 and then turn face up when you have yeah, mana. Yeah, there's like maybe three of them in total. Like green has a little bit of a more big creature disguise vibe, but through the, a lot of the other colors, it's really not the case. The one thing I noticed very uniquely in this set was we got a kind of crossover where one of the disguise cards, Hunted Bone Brute, is also part of this hunted cycle of cards or style of cards, which on ETB give your opponent some benefit which is a cost to the card and here because you can play it as a morph and then flip it face up you could essentially skirt that downside and yeah. just get around it which i actually think is probably going to cause some confusion for players because this one also has too much rules text to fit the disguise reminder text on it and so i think a lot of people are going to think when they flip it up they're still going to give their opponent those tokens they're still going to get that etb even though it doesn't actually enter the battlefield but that was the one i, I took note of as being like actually unique otherwise this didn't feel particularly different to me than morph all right, well, Frankly. I'm curious to see if people who play the limited set a lot, I mean, I'm going to go to pre-release, maybe do a draft or two, but to people who play the set a lot, I'm going to be interested in their perspective on how different this feels, because to me, these cards look pretty different. I guess we didn't even mention that Megamorph is actually another variation on Morph already. It's easy to forget about that one. Yeah, just like this forum familiar that has Megamorph. <laughs> the next new mechanic in Murders at Karlov Manor is Suspect. It's an ability on creatures that makes the creature unable to block and gives it menace. And there are also cards in the set that care about suspected creatures. So uh, a suspected creature also can't block. So it both has menace, can't block. That's what I said. Oh, you said that? Pretty sure. Okay, well. It, we're going to replay it and then. Nope, we're not. We're going to find gonna out. edit this all out and it's going to sound great. Everyone's <laughs> going to find out when, when they listen back to it. We'll see. makes the creature unable to block and gives it menace makes the creature unable to block and gives it menace makes the creature unable to block 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 if i didn't say it yes they also can't block menace and can't block which is a somewhat common combination you get things like that pretty often where this creature has an attack ability and then also can't block so yeah it's flavorful it's like this guy's suspected everybody's got eyes on this person they they're not gonna be able to block anymore but they're also freaked out <laughs> This is a really flexible mechanic that can be used in a lot of ways, right? Like, this can be a benefit to your own creatures. If you're the aggressor, giving things menace is great. And if you're being the aggressor, then maybe blocking is not so important to you. It can also be used to make your opponent's creatures unable to block if you don't care about them swinging back. Uh, once again, kind of beneficial if you're the aggressor. Yeah, I guess both sides of this really just benefit you if you're the aggressor. Either using it on your own creatures for the menace or using it on your opponent's creatures for the inability to block. They always help if you're the aggressor. And the cards in the set use suspect in a variety of different ways yeah sometimes it's more about you eliminating blockers clearly it's you know a, a sorcery that's just going to make things unable to block so you can get through with damage or it might be that a creature that when your next creature enters the battlefield suspects it such that you can have a more aggressive attack attacker with some evasion so there's a lot of different ways that this mechanic ends up getting used from a cube design perspective, I mean, obviously, just like granting keywords to things is very powerful. And I like the fact that this is something that can both have utility 
playing or using it both on your own creatures and on your opponents. It's a little bit annoying that it just has this extra keyword that yeah, if there's I'm throwing no... two instances of this in my cube alongside all kinds of other cards, I would prefer it just to be all written out, but it does do a lot for the flavor of, of the, the actual set. So for limited, it makes a lot of sense. What I was going to say is that there's no actual tangible reminder it just says that thing is now suspected you don't put a counter on it you don't you know put a aura on it that says suspected it just that is suspected now and you have to remember that's the case which strikes me as a little weird especially because even in this set i believe there are cards that give flying counters it's like they have keyword counters in this set but for some reason chose to make suspected not a counter but just a state that you have to actually remember when it happens which i'm not sure why that is but that's where we're at. I would have preferred it probably for clarity's sake to, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you only have a couple in your cube, having it keyworded is only adding complexity. It's not making it simpler. And if it actually had some tangible reminder in the game mechanics itself, I think it would be a little more elegant. For sure. I mean, I'm sure at pre-release, they'll get little punch outs or something to keep it, keep things clear. So I'm not Will super they? worried about it. I really doubt it. If there's not actually a counters in the rules Let's text. Let's find out. If, if I... We're going to find out. If they have a counter, I will bet you one of those counters... Let's put. Let's make the stakes a little higher. What can okay. we actually bet? Uh, I was gonna say, if I'm right, you have to make an intro for the podcast. But then, if you're right, what do you make? What do you get to make me do? Two intros for the podcast. <laughs> well, I do them all already. <laughs> um, all right, how about this? You normally do the show notes for the show. If you're right, I'll do the show notes for two weeks. If okay. I'm right, you got to okay. make an intro for an episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> clip the comedian of the week from theme from Bunta Vista. <laughs> Just Sorry play it at the this. beginning. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's suspect. Next we have collect evidence. This is a cost, so you can collect evidence X, and that can be part of like a kicker style effect on a spell or an activated ability. Anytime you could pay a cost, you could instead collect evidence. And to collect evidence X, you exile cards from your graveyard with a total mana value of X or less, so you can you can over-exile if you need to. This is just a different way to turn the cards into your graveyard into a usable resource. So it's on the same spectrum as cards like Delve or Grim Lava Mancer style cards that exile cards from your graveyard for some effect. Um, here, instead of caring about card types or number of cards, it's purely the mana value of the exile cards. Right, it's a little bit different than a lot of those other mechanics in that it, it does care about the total mana value. So if you're in an environment that's trying to enable Delve and Madness and things like that, you're often including lots of cheap effects. You know, it's, it's yeah, fetch, lands fetch lands and yeah. baubles and one mana cantrips, things like that, or cheap cyclers that are just going to go into the graveyard and not necessarily actually even have a cost at all. So Well, cheap cyclers could cheap have a cyclers, lot of mana value. That's, that's where we, we get the intersection because this actually cares about actually having stuff that has a mana cost. So it's not going to necessarily work with all these those kinds of cheap effects, but if you have cyclers, you know, boon of the wish giver type effects that are going to get into the graveyard easily and then have a big mana cost or, you know, even things like the Titan Authorex or whatever, those big creatures from Ixalan. Or just actual Delve spells you can cast for much less than their mana value True, than yeah. in their graveyard with a big fat mana cost. So I think it's kind of cool that it operates in this slightly different axis that's going to make you care about things. I think it is going to be very easy to tune an environment to make these work in particular ways. Something else that's interesting about about these collect evidence cards is nothing forces you to collect evidence in the set. All the individual cards offer you an additional cost, or it's for an activated ability, or there some is other that effect. green creature with ward collect evidence for. So it sure. forces your opponent to forces collect evidence for if they need to, if they want to target it with a removal spell or something. But all these cards, you know, do something even if you have an empty graveyard. It's just that you get to scale the effect or get an additional effect or become interactive in a different way if you actually have stuff in the graveyard, which I, I think just makes makes these pretty flexible cards that are likely to be able to fit into lots of different types of cubes, even if you're not trying to really lean into it. But if you do have stuff like cycling, stuff like surveil that's going to let you fill the graveyard, these just become pretty interactive pieces that are going to scale and, and reward players for building around them. Yeah, or just regular discard outlets. You know, if you're running yeah. Thrills of Possibility and Frantic Searches, you can just discard big expensive spells that don't have any cycling or whatever and then exile them to collect evidence. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting mechanic. At first, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a fixed delve or other kind of like graveyard spell reduction mechanic, or in this case, you know, mostly activated ability reduction mechanic, because it doesn't work with all the best things for enabling delve, like you mentioned, like fetch lands, baubles, one mana cantrips, things that just like, you know, fill your graveyard with cheap stuff very quickly. This doesn't really work with them. But the fact that it does work so well with all that other stuff, right? Like you could very easily collect evidence eight on turn two if you just have a 
one mana cycler that has a mana value of eight. You just cycle away your Titan Rex, and then I think it cycles for three, actually. But, you know, there are definitely big uh, spells that have a small cycling ability or whatever. You can definitely still cheat this cost very much, right? You can definitely for sure build a deck or an environment that will abuse this cost such that your ability to collect evidence is not tied to the duration of the game in any way, necessarily, which is kind of interesting. So... Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting mechanic, and uh, I like how it's used pound for pound in the set. I think it's got a lot of promise, and you know, I think for those of us that have have a medley of graveyard mechanics in our cubes, like you know, I, I do have a lot of delve cards. I have delirium cards. Do I have a threshold card anymore? I'm not sure I do, but you know, there's a lot of cards that care about things going on in your graveyard. Tarmogoyf is kind of in its own category of caring about all the numbers of types instead of just a threshold of those numbers of types. Once the graveyard is a space people care about, then this will interact reasonably in that space without causing any confusion or anything with other mechanics that already exist. There are a couple of cards that also just grant collect evidence to other things or just, you know, ch- change the cost of things. So, for example, Conspiracy Unraveler is a huge sphinx that says you may collect evidence for 10 rather than pay the mana cost of spells that you cast, which means if you do have an environment where you can get this into play and have a bunch of huge stuff in the graveyard, you could, I don't know, maybe do some weird combos. So I think outside of just some individual cards that scale a little bit, there might be some opportunity for some really intense uh, collect evidence decks oh yeah i'm not sure that they haven't broken this in some way and constructed we'll find out when other people smarter and more plugged in than us sort through that but definitely an interesting novel take on caring about things in your graveyard the last new mechanic in murders at karlov manor is cases this is a new enchantment subtype and every case has one ability that is always active and it also has a to solve condition, so an ability that is met by some condition, and you have to meet the stipulation of that condition at the beginning of your end step. Then it also has a solved ability, which is only active after the to solve condition is met. So these are, I mean, they're vertically oriented, so they immediately are kind of reminiscent of sagas. They also have those like sort of steps where you only care about the top thing until you care about further steps down below. So they do definitely have some kind of like saga energy. I gotta say, Anthony, we are often groaning and, you know, shouting at clouds on this show when sets just have... Me? No, never. When sets just have a bunch of double-faced cards and we're like, oh, more. Great. Awesome. I look at this card type and I cannot help but think this would be so much more elegant as a double-faced card. Ugh. You know, I, I don't totally disagree with you, but but part of me is like, I'm just so glad all the text is on the front of this. Like, I was looking particularly at the Gorgon one that, that makes a Gorgon, and it'd be great if on the back it had the four mana four four, but also just had all the text in the front. Like, I think you could both have the clarity, the extra helping, like, state indication of a double face card while having the legibility of the card on its front face at the same time in a sleeve for a cube. I, I don't, maybe it's just me. I find them really hard to but read. I also do find them hard to find read. Them so hard and, to read. And I wonder if there's just some like difficult technical limitations where I, I think they could have just structured the layout of the cards a little bit more different to make that middle piece look not necessarily like rules text. It's because it looks just like there are three abilities that are going to happen, but the two solve text is functioning in a totally different way. So I, I, I get that it would be very difficult difficult for them to design a new frame that highlights that text differently while accommodating the fact that there's different amounts of text for all of these for the three different sections. And just to head but it off at the pass... would have been nice. Just to head it off the comments at the pass, I understand that the weirdness to making this a double-sided card is that the top condition still matters even after you've solved it. So That's you'd be true, repeating yeah. that rules text on both sides. You would have the front side would have ability one and the two solve condition and the back side would have ability one and ability three though some is, of them just have just like a super flexible mechanic in that those two abilities could be anything they can be static abilities they can be an etb which basically then makes ETBs, this function yeah. as like a sorcery that later gives you some benefit if you achieve some mini game and then again the second the last ability could also be a thing that you just is a one-shot effect or a static ability so there's a lot of potential here which also makes dfc's a little bit more challenging yeah i mean we don't have to get hung up on that one specific observation but i will say i find these very hard to read I also think it's pretty unintuitive that the two solve condition has to be met specifically at the beginning of your yes. end step. When I first read these, I was like, okay, so this is a ability and then a triggered ability. Whenever I meet this condition, this two solve ability gets triggered. But no, like, you know, for example, just looking at case of the filched falcon, just wanted to say that the two solve condition is you control three or more artifacts. And 
I just feel like intuitively it feels like once I hit three or more artifacts, I would solve this case. But that's not true. You have to hit three or more artifacts and then have those three artifacts under your control at the beginning of an end step of your own. And then you would actually trigger that solve condition. Yeah, though it was also confusing to me because I was like, oh, what it, it, it gets solved when you meet these conditions at the beginning of your end step. I was like, okay, well, I have to do just end the turn or I have to do those things. It's like, no, you have to do all these things at a certain time. It has to be the case both when the ability triggers and resolves, which that's reasonable. But it is, I agree, a lot to parse. There's also a couple of these third conditions, the things that you get when you solve the case, which only work at sorcery speed, which seems like a huge bummer to trigger at your end step. I don't know. It's uh, just interesting, interesting way the cards are put together. I'm not in love with these cards. Structurally, I, I find them to be just a big column of text. And it's a column of text that it must be said is you know, set typographically much more narrow than you would normally set a column of text because of the vertical orientation of the card, which I think contributes to the lack of readability. I didn't want to shake my fist at the typography cloud, but I mean, look how there's like, there's no space in there. (laughs) Yeah, it's just kind of a like tight little column with weird line lengths that makes it pretty hard to read. And there's like, yeah, no margin between the art and the text. Like it's basically just touching the crossbar of the capital T's of to solve in every single card. Maybe a bunch of like, you know, fiddly aesthetic complaints here but certainly not my favorite card type and though you said it's flexible that's true compare this on resonance to like you know double face cards that have some flip condition and i think the double face cards that have flip conditions are so much more clear right like just imagine thing in the ice written out like this you could do it you could have thing in the ice essentially be this or very similar you could have an enchantment that makes an 04 token winner as the battlefield to solve you've cast well i guess you have to put a counter on it every time you cast a spell. And then at the beginning of your end step, check if you've cast four spells and then trigger the ability of returning all non-horrors to the owner's hand. But it'd just be such a nightmare. I think that... Uh, it's a horror, not a nightmare, actually. Lol. I, I just think that uh, these cards, for what they're doing, this idea of, like, you have a first thing, then you have some transformational ability. Like, literally, it's transformational. The ability transforms what the card does, but the card itself does not actually transform. It feels very clunky to me. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one that's going to be very much on a case-by-case basis if it... See what I did there? Uh, if it makes hey. sense for your particular cube, because they this mechanic can do whatever you want. They actually remind me, if anything, more like the, the quest cycle from... What was that? From original Zendikar? I believe so, like the yeah. Quest from the grave, quest for the Grave Lord, quest for the uh, cool vampire-ness. Those were, I think, way more and readable. those are pretty readable, pretty resonant, but I think the problem with those, or not problem, but the limitation is just that they were very much all or nothing. If you draw it late and you're not going to be able to have five creatures die to be able to make your huge zombie or whatever it is, then it just didn't do anything. So they've made a mechanic that I think is going to play in a way that is going to be more satisfying a lot of the ways and that you are going to play it for the first chunk, get some ability, and then you have that quest that you can can strive for. But I think because they have tried to make cards that do such very different things all fit within the same structure, it does mean that that they actually, that the structure isn't really helping you understand them all that much for me. I mean, there's nothing that prevented them mechanically from having the quests have it under the battlefield ability or some static ability that gave you some benefit, right? Like they just chose to do it that way. But to me, ticking up with counters, like things you can see, you know, each time you do a thing and then just triggering as soon as you do it the last time is so much more resonant than get to your end step and check and see if you've met some arbitrary set of conditions, which is not sparking joy. The major returning mechanic in Murders at Karlov Manor is Investigate, which I think everyone knows very well by now. Investigate is an ability that just makes a clue token. Clue token is an artifact you can just pay two mana and sacrifice to draw a card. We've talked about this on the show before, but this is a really great way to make an otherwise cantripping effect that would be too powerful if it just drew a card, make it a little more expensive because now you get this sort of Coupon, you can cash in later to draw a card. You know, if all the investigate cards just said, when you investigate, you can pay to and draw a card, that's way worse than being able to bank up clues and spend mana whenever you have it to draw cards. And they also have all this incidental synergy with things that care about artifacts, things that care about tokens, things that care about sacrificing stuff, uh, which is really nice and elegant. And I think why we see so many of these trinket artifact tokens these days uh, in different sets. So I think everyone's probably very happy to see investigate return. Seems like a beloved mechanic. I think rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, I think that really that what you said is is such a big part of the mechanic that it touches on so many other kinds of things that car- cards can care about. So if you're doing artifact themes, it works. If you're doing sacrifice themes, it's going to be a role player. But it also can just go on any any type of card. You can 
throw into a clue and and like make the, the card work that way so also a boon for the turbo cube which i'm sure we'll get to later when we oh, look at cube goodness. inclusions because every card that says investigate in the turbo cube just says draw a card which makes them radically different so yes there are as always some unspoken mechanics that are returning here the one i want to call it maybe you have some others anthony is the return of hybrid split cards uh, we mentioned this in brief on a recent episode but we have a new cycle of hybrid split cards that are all one side is color a and color b and one side is color a and color c so for example i'll give one's rules text we have cease and desist here cease is one and a black or green for a instant that says exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard target player gains two life and draws a card then we have desist for four and then two green or white so six mana total for a sorcery that destroys all artifacts and enchantments and these cards are really cool because this card is obviously great in a green deck because both sides are green you can just cast either side you want in your green deck which is awesome they are a little better in like a green black or a green white deck because now it's even easier to cast the side that is also that color. You know, you can imagine you're a green-red deck. Cease and Desist is not as good as if you're green-black, because if you've only drawn color B, only red in that case, you can't cast any part of Cease and Desist. And then, of course, they can also be played in just a black deck if you only care about Cease, or just a white deck if you only care about Desist, or in a black-white deck that doesn't have any green, that can still cast both sides of these cards. So... Very cool, very flexible cards. I think if they are the appropriate power level for your cube and you like modal effects, uh, you might want to look at this cycle. It's pretty slick. It's also worth mentioning, since we're talking about hybrid, that a lot of the disguise cards that are gold cards, uh, maybe all of them actually, also have a hybrid disguise cost, Yeah, which means true. that if you're playing, for example, Gadget Tactician in your in your blue-red deck, you will need to have exactly blue-red if you want to cast it just for its normal front face. But if you're splashing it, if you're a little tighter on mana, things don't quite go as you expect. You do still have that flexibility of casting it for any color mana and then flipping it up for either blue or red double hybrid, which just makes them a little bit more flexible. Which is a really funky design space, right? Because one of the guiding lights that Mark Rosewater has talked about for designing gold cards is that you shouldn't print a gold card that could be printed in a monocolor, right? Because why does it exist as a gold card if either of these colors can just do it all on their own? But this hybrid disguise ability effectively makes it so you don't need that second color in your deck to actually flip up the card, right? Like Gadget Tactician is a blue-red card that you could also just play in your blue-green deck because you could just flip it up for blue-blue. So interesting design space there to try and figure out what kinds of abilities work. And that definitely really highlights this kind of, the kind of kicker-esque nature of these cards yeah i mean that that's a good example where this really makes it feel like kicker to me because this is four mana for a three two when it enters the battlefield or is turned face up make a one one thopter and its disguise is only for two mana so it's effectively i can play this uh, as a four mana three two make a one one or i can play it as a five mana three two make two one one so it's kind of like kicker with the additional flexibility that i can cast or so just make those. one 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 because it doesn't trigger when you play it face down oh you're right it's just I either read all cards. It's just either you can get it into play for two blue red or for three blue blue or three red red. You're right. Which is it's hard to read cards. <laughs> I, I'm totally sympathetic. It's it's true. So any other unnamed unofficial mechanics from Murders at Karlov Manor you want to mention? Yeah, there are a couple little ones. Uh, we always see at least one creature type matters uh, mechanic in every set because it's flavorful. And here we see that in Detectives. I think they're especially focused in blue and white. I, Detectives is, I, as far as I know, it's a new creature type, or if not brand new, pretty sparse creature type. So this isn't going to be something that's going to be a boon to a lot of people that have existing typal support in their cubes. But if you're looking for something new, if you really love this set and want to bring in that flavor, that's an option there for you. There actually were a couple of Detectives specifically in the Doctor Who set. That was the that first time sense. we got any Detectives, and it makes sense we got them there. This is the first main product to have any kind of detectives and i think that the doctor who set was pretty popular and probably inspired a lot of cube designs so yeah i don't have any i don't actually know how popular it was i have no no sense of there, that i mean maybe there's some people who we don't even talk to because they're like on the fringes of magic and they're just like doctor who this is what's going to get me in no surely we're in touch with everything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh that makes you the comedian of the week uh nope not doing it. Okay. <laughs> not going to play Any, it. Anyway, another mechanic that I think is going to be, you know, it's not super splashy, but I think is going to be very flexible and very relevant to a lot of cube designs is, especially focused in black and white, there's a big theme of power two or less matter, 
which obviously matters a lot with all the disguise cards because they are three mana, two, two creatures, but also anything else uh, that you're going to be playing in any of your cubes that is just small creatures is going to have a lot of interesting payoff cards that I think are going to be worth looking at for a lot of cube designers. We mentioned some of the graveyard mechanics, uh, including collect evidence that just lets you use your graveyard as a resource. I feel like, again, every every set just has a big graveyard theme. But I noticed a bunch of individual cards that care about when things get exiled from your graveyard, which is obviously keying off of collect evidence, even if it's not directly referencing that mechanic. But this is another thing that just tons of cards in History of Magic will move things between zones. So if you want more rewards for moving cards between zones, there's a couple options here. And I think that people do just love moving things between zones. It is fun to take game actions. This is confirmed known fact. And the is it theme, the the blue-red theme for this limited set is going to be Artifact Sacrifice. Uh, If you just look at these sort of two-color, uncommon gold cards, this is definitely clearly woven through here and it's obviously very much focused around sacrificing clues uh, but I think this is again going to be a theme that is going to offer a lot to people that are already doing strong artifact themes in their cubes anything else Anthony that's all I got okay I'm sure there's gracious. there's gonna be more in here but let's talk a little bit about the Ravnica clue edition like I said I thought this was going to be like just a short stack of cards with clue flavor and there are some of that right we have senator peacock and mastermind plum and commander mustard here as well as the weapons from clue made as equipment in the game but it's also just a stack of like 30 new cards that are purely ravnica flavored there's no clue involved in them at all from a flavor perspective you know they share some mechanics that they've chosen for this supplemental product but they're just new cards in a ravnica setting that I think a lot of these cards to me feel very clean and pretty simple and elegant card designs, which I think makes sense given that this product is probably aimed a little bit at maybe less enfranchised players or trying to bring new players into the game. Maybe there are huge Clue fans out there. I'm on record on the podcast of saying I don't really think that's a thing, but maybe they're out there and they love Clue so much they're going to go try Magic for the first time because they just want a Colonel Mustard trading card. I don't know. You know they're out there. We got so many messages from people that legitimately love clue did you i didn't i was sitting right next to you i was being trolled i was being trolled I those were not messages i don't think you were being trolled i think that was sincere you can be sincerely trolled it's uh, possible okay this set we have a bunch of new hybrid mana cards a i believe a whole cycle of hybrid uncommons in every color combination as well as most color combinations getting a hybrid rare as well and a lot of these cards i gotta say anything really jumped out at me for the regular cube There's a lot of, like, mechanics that are brought back in just one example here. Like, there's one Evolve card, and there's one or maybe two Mentor cards, and a couple other things. But it's not a strong theme mechanically moving through all these cards, per se. What actually stood out to me that uh, I thought was interesting about this set is there's a lot of interesting multiplayer mechanics, which isn't necessarily what I'm here for. We don't play a lot of multiplayer, but if you do... There's some cool cards here. A lot of goad, yeah. A lot of goad. Uh, there's a couple new cards with Myriad, which is uh, an ability that whenever you attack one of your opponents, you can additionally make a token attacking each of your other opponents, which the initial cycle of these that were printed were kind of lackluster for Commander, basically. So it's cool to see them revisit that mechanic with some slightly more pushed cards. Yeah, I think all of the cube designers out there that are making multiplayer cubes are eating well with this set. Absolutely. The other thing we got here was a cycle of Enter the Battlefield tap lands that have the ability pay for to tap and investigate while also being dual lands. They are not typed, and we do have a cycle of typed dual lands with additional abilities in the Murders at Karlov Manor set, so I think these are probably being a little bit overshadowed by those new lands, but if you're in the market for a different variation of a like C or D tier fixing land, those are options for you. Interestingly, they did use up a bunch of like very simple names, like this land is just called Study well. and Kitchen and Library and Lounge, all these different rooms in the game of Clue. Yeah, I think the purpose of these, the, the way this set actually works is that you are playing a game of Magic the Gathering. At the same time, uh, if you're playing with this box set that has some additional rules, there's an alternate win condition that you can pursue instead of just beating your opponents. And so as far as I understand it, these lands are not only lands that are functional and playable, but they are pieces for that sort of alternate gameplay that's happening at the same time where you're using one of these to indicate that state in the game which makes sense that they're not necessarily trying to push the power level here and make these the chase cards because they're really there to serve as these sort of secondary game pieces for that alternate game happening yep that's it interestingly also includes reprints of the shocklands with clue art 
which I thought was an interesting decision. But if you want even more weird art for your Shocklands, you can check out this set as well. Anything else to say on the overall mechanics, design principles, approach to these sets, Anthony? There's something else that's really, really weird to me about this set. So we have this this new variation on Morph and Manifest, which adds Ward. And then they added four different spells, like all the common and uncommon interactive spells in this in this set, it seems, have the ability, this spell can't be countered, dude. including the reminder text. Dude. This includes the ward ability. Dude. So they've just said, like, for limited, isn't it great that we've plussed up this mechanic Dude. a little bit and then said all the interaction doesn't care about that? Dude. What's happening here? I was going to pop off on this later. I guess maybe we can talk right, about it pop, now. Pop off. I think this sucks so bad. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It, it really feels very bizarre. And it also puts me in mind of what's the new, the I guess the artifact flyer that essentially destroys a land but gets around hexproof which they buzzer which i believe they explicitly said they printed because of lotus field being a thing in modern and having hexproof was a problem and i I just i can't get over how yeah these two things feel very similar this is krenko's buzz crusher it's a four mana four four when it enters the battlefield for each player destroy up to one basic non-land card that player controls and they can search for a new basic land one non-basic land not one non-land basic card or whatever you said Sure, but importantly, this doesn't target. It just it, it hits a player, and then you choose a land, so it gets around hexproof. It's it's absolutely unthinkable to me. First of all, the fact that they have to remind you that ward is not an additional cost to cast a thing, but it's a tax that if you don't pay it, the spell gets countered, meaning that you can just pay the regular cost for these can't be countered removal spells. And so the the reminder text is very good there. It's extremely important. You need to have that text. reminder text because it would be very unclear otherwise. But the fact that they introduce these mechanics to make things more safe and then just completely undermine that in the exact same set, right? Like, it's so weird. And the fact that they did it with Krenko's Buzz Crusher, it's like, okay, you printed Lotus Field, which is a callback to an old card, Lotus Veil, which was a card that did basically the same thing, except didn't have Hexproof. So it was risky. Um, that it was one also, like, it's a replacement effect when you play it because uh, it yeah, comes to play untapped. Minor, minor it's a slight difference. Like, but... You know, they, they a card had a bunch of risks associated with it, and then it could just it get... It was just way too easy to get blown out by any anything. kind of land destruction. Yeah, or just a bounce spell or whatever. Oh, yeah. So, so they introduced Lotus Field with, with uh, Hexproof, and then just, uh, oh, people are actually using it? It's not even like it's oppressive. Like, it's not, no one's talking about it being a problem in Modern or whatever. I, I, maybe there's, like, some corner of the meta where people are mad that, like, there's no cyborg cards available for playing against... No, we're in touch with every Lotus Field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm sorry. I, f- I forgot that we are completely plugged in. It's just so weird to me. And uh, I'll give you a little spoiler. I, I am not absolutely not playing the new black removal spell long goodbye in my cube which is just eliminate but can't be countered i see a lot of people really excited about this i don't want my spells to not be able to be countered i think counter spells are cool and they're already very conditional they only work when your opponent has a spell you want to counter on the stack you have to have the mana or the resources available at that moment to spend it it's already a really high risk to put super conditional counter spells in your deck I do not want to punish people by having spells can't be countered. I especially don't want to punish control decks, which are already some of the decks that struggle most in my environment. So Long Goodbye is for sure not getting included. You just put Spell Snare in the cube, and you want people to snare those spells. Yeah, the fact that we're getting a bunch of can't be countered now, which is the thing I don't like fundamentally. It's I, Just like I don't like creatures with hexproof, I, I don't like things that can't be countered, because I, I the thing that's great about magic to me is being able to interact with what your opponent is doing. And sure, there's a lot of really interesting novel card designs that play in that space and wouldn't work if they didn't have some additional protection, but that's why I love Ward so much. Ward is fantastic. Let's get more weird other kinds of Ward costs, like paying life or discarding cards or exiling stuff from your graveyard, like things that are not just mana, or just more Ward that is mana cost make these answers less efficient rather than hexproof. The fact that it's just... They pretty much it can't be counted stuff is it's mind boggling to me. Uh, I I can't really understand why they did it. I guess. I mean, I I can 
invent you can, a narrative. You can guess I why. I can invent a narrative very easily, which is that they thought the ward was very flavorful for these hidden secretive creatures. So they added that early in development, and then it and got made to, all the removal bad play t- to play test or play design, and they discovered that it was really frustrating that you couldn't interact with any of these creatures. So give so them ward one it. then instead of ward two. Like yeah, yeah, that would have been what I would have started with. But I presumably just, they tried all these things, and it was too late, and then they didn't want to go back and just completely rework the mechanics. So they just updated a couple individual cards to make limited better. I mean, that that narrative makes sense and is plausible, but it also, it just feels internally very incoherent. Yeah, I mean, in general, you and I are very charitable to Wizards of the Coast's design team. We, we have, I hope so. We have friends that are on it. We know that a lot goes on behind the scenes that the public doesn't get to see. There's a lot of people out there that are always like, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Do what I want instead. And I think a lot of that discourse is pointless at best, uh, if not worse. But this is one case where, yeah, I, I can't understand why, and these cards that are getting plastered with can't be counted on them are just a huge bummer to me personally for my preferences as a player because I, I don't want them in my cube. The one, the only one I run is Abrupt Decay, which I actually prefer it didn't have can't be countered. I just love the fact that it's this really, really flexible, efficient removal spell that I think is an actual pull into playing two colors in my cube. Correction, I actually have two. I also have Supreme Verdict, but look, Control needs a little help here, and I really like that it's a very strong signpost in blue-white to tell you to draft a Control deck. I would probably love it even more if it had some other little upside over just Wrath of God, maybe like a Scry 2 or something. Just saying. I don't know. I don't have to say. It's, uh, it's, it's puzzling to say, at the very least. It's pretty funny. I think we can safely say we're going to end episode one here. So let's just do a normal outro. Pretend we're not going to jump into the next episode. If you haven't already filled out our cube surveys for these sets, please go to our website and fill them out. I've had a couple people complain that there are three separate surveys for Murders at Markov Manor, Murders at Markov Manor Commander, and the Ravnica Clue Edition. But there's a lot of reasons why we do it that way. We have thought about it, and I'm sorry that it feels annoying to go to three pages instead of just one page, but... A lot of players ignore supplemental products. They only care about things that go through standard. Also, what slug do we put the page at? If it's all of these things, then we don't have a slug for each of the past surveys that it's just sensible to refer back to. Yeah, Bones, what do we do? Tell us. Blame Wizards for putting out three sets concurrently instead of us, the nice boys down down uh, in Baltimore that are trying to make these cube surveys for you. But go fill them out at luckypaper.co. There'll be a banner on the top of the page. We do link to the next surveys helpfully at the end of the first survey, so you can just go do it that way. And yeah, we're also going to be accepting hot takes for our community set reviews. So if you have a thought about any of these mechanics or specific cards and how they impact the cube world more broadly, Send a voice memo to mail at luckypaper.co or Andy Mangold on a Discord, and I will include it in our community set review when we get to record that in a couple weeks. All of our music is produced by DJ James Nasty. All the magic cards are produced by Wizards of the Coast. All the magic cards that then counteract the mechanics of those magic cards are also produced by Wizards of the Coast. And this podcast is produced by Anthony and I thinking really hard about magic cards. I've been speaking into microphones about it. Ready to do this all over again? Yes, go. Actually, I'm going to pause and make a separate audio file.